and welcome. It's good to be back up here with you all again. Well, before we look into God's Word, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, uh, we come before you this morning. Father, we realize that there's an awful lot going on in the world right now. From the microchip, Lord, to the diseases and governments looking to take more control of the people. So many things that are going on on all sides. And then added to that, the issue of some losing their jobs or, and not being able to keep up with their bills, etc. And it can be a very stressful time for people. And so, Father, we ask you to come alongside and comfort them. For, Lord, you are the God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our afflictions. So we look to you and we uh, pray for your strength. We pray for your grace. Father, we pray for uh, Matt and Alicia as they head out to Colorado and Matt starting a new uh, business. I pray that that business would prosper for them and grow and that you would work mightily through their lives, not just in the business, but even more so, Lord, in their spiritual lives, that they would glorify you there as they reach out and touch other, touch other people's lives. Father, we pray for the other Bible-believing churches around the tri-state area. Lord, we ask that you would bless them, strengthen them, encourage them, and some are meeting and some are not. But, Father, we know that... Uh, you can minister to us, whether we're in a meeting as we are here today or whether we're in a church where they're meeting in the parking lots or just doing it over the uh, airwaves. Father, we ask that you would strengthen your people. Lord, help us to remain true to the path that you have called us to walk. And Father, we give you the honor and the glory and the praise. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You know, before we actually tackle this, we know that we'd ask, it's now been mandated by the county that we wear masks. And um, leadership, we're praying about this and trying to um, get God's heart on it. And so you'll hear more on that in a week or two. But um, we understand that it's all part of a bigger program. It's not just a pandemic. And also a little tidbit here, California, they're using the microchip. Sweden, the country is using the microchip. They're putting it in the hand or forehead and you can open your car, you can start your car with it, open your car, open your house, buy your lunch, all of the different things, all with the wave of your hand. And I bring that up just to, in a sense, forewarn you that as we, as the time of the Lord, his return, we don't know whether it's going to be to, Today, tomorrow, next week, next month, a year from now, but we know that we're drawing nearer and nearer. 
And one of the signs is having the mark in your hand or forehead. And without it, you won't be able to purchase anything. And it's a way that you'll get the mark of the beast, 666. And so I want you to be aware of that and to determine in your heart to stay on task. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Walk looking unto him. Don't live a life in fear. We know he's in control. And don't stray. Sometimes people get discouraged with what's going on and oh, it's easier just to stay home. And I want you to know that we have to continue with what the scriptures say. We want to continue meeting, however that may uh, work or manifest itself. We want to continue to meet and continue to encourage one another. And we long to see the day when we're all translated, those of us that have placed our faith in Christ, and we'll be with him. But understand that turbulent times are coming. Be prepared in your heart, lest it take you by surprise. So, let us get into the Word of God. Yes, Brian. As we start this morning, I'm looking in 1 John chapter 2, looking at the verses 15 through 17. But before we go there, way back in the beginning, when God created Adam and Eve, we know that sin came into the world when they disobeyed God. But I want you to understand something here. 
it says in chapter 3 and verse 6, it says that when the woman saw the tree, that it was good for food. That is the lust of the flesh, the desire to indulge in something. We want to do something. And then it goes on and says, and that it was a delight to the eyes. Delight to the eyes. That is a desire to possess. My son and I and my wife, we, last week we uh, were driving down through Cedar Rapids and Marion where all the devastation took place and it was worse than a war zone. I mean, it was unbelievable what we saw. And then he drove me by a house and I asked him what hotel that was. I've never seen something that was so amazing looking from the outside. I've been down to the Biltmore Mansion down in Carolina, and um, it didn't compare. And these great big splendorous gates, and then this house or building that seemed to stretch out for forever to both sides. And I said, what place is that? He said, it's Dr. So-and-so's. He says, I've done a lot of work there on his heating and air. And he says, this guy, while I was working one day, this guy's got cars like you wouldn't believe. And he said, while I was working there the one day on his AC, he said that uh, a semi pulled in and dropped off two brand new Ferraris to add to his collection. And I thought, whatever that doctor does, whatever kind of doctoring he does, he's obviously making too much money. But this thing was, I still kind of stand in awe of how one person could have something that big and that beautiful from the outside. And when one looks at things like that, it could be very easy. What's going in the eye gate, it could be very easy to desire to possess it or desire to possess something similar. Lust of the eyes, desire to possess. And then it goes on and it says, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise. And there you have the pride of life, the desire to impress. These are my credentials. I've got so many degrees after my name, they call me Dr. Fahrenheit, you know, and all this stuff. We try to impress people by the cars we have, the houses we have, the toys in whatever way, shape, or form they might be to impress people. And so, in my understanding of Scripture, and I'm a... Of con uh, I am fully convinced that all sin will come through one of those three gates. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, or the boastful pride of life. And if we move forward on that, 
and you go to Matthew. Here in Matthew 4, you have the Lord Jesus Christ being tempted. He was taken out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. All right, this is at the start of his ministry. And it's easy enough to read past this and really not catch on. But it says, and the devil, the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. Now understand, Jesus had been fasting for 40 days. Some of us that have tried dieting, you go a day or two or five, and you're going, I just got to have another candy bar. You know, I need that greasy McDonald's burger or something. You know what I mean? And understand that he went 40 days without food. And so obviously he was hungry. And so the devil comes and says, hey, look, if you're the son of God, no big deal for you. Command these stones become bread and satisfy a natural God-given need, right? Food is a natural God-given need but it can be illegitimately obtained. It goes on from there. So here you have the lust of the flesh. And Jesus responds, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And then the devil says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will give his angels charge concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Here he's uh, appealing to the pride of life. Hey, look, you can do this. Go ahead, jump off. Angels will hold you up. Pride of life. Prove it. Prove to me that you're the Son of God. And then from there... And Jesus answered, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And then we have the lust of the eyes, and it says, and he took him to the very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. There is the lust of the eyes. And Jesus responded, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall, not, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Now you have the same thing in Luke chapter 4, but I want you to notice something at the end here. After he's gone through all the diff different temptations, and it says in verse 13 of chapter 4, and when the devil had finished every temptation every temptation he departed from him until an opportune time okay until sometime down the future every temptation and how did those temptations come through the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes and the pride of life just like in the garden and here our Lord being tested is tested in those same three areas. And all sin that you are tempted with, 
will come to one of those gates. Now let's turn to 1 John, to our text here for this morning. In 1 John chapter 2, and I'll read the verses uh, 15 to 17. And John writes this, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anybody loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away, and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. Now, as we have gone through this, as Brian has been teaching through this, and we've been looking at 1 John here, we see that uh, we have fellowship with God and that that requires that there is no room for hatred in our hearts towards one another. Okay, and we think of hatred as something, you know, I want to get them. Sometimes hatred is more from the back door. I don't care. Brian offended me. Or Brian took offense with something I said. So if he's got ought against me, he needs to come to me. Scriptures do teach that, don't they? Anybody with me here? Okay. But do not the scriptures also teach that if you know, if you have, if I have ought against Brian, I need to go to Brian. And if Brian has ought against me, he needs to come to me. But if he doesn't come to me, I am still responsible to go to him. If I know my brother struggles with me, I need to go to my brother. You see, God doesn't leave openings. It's not open-ended. What he does is he places a responsibility firmly with each one of us. If I'm mad at you, I go to you. If you're mad at me, I go to you. Why? Because we are to be at peace with one another and to demonstrate love. And so we've seen that hatred is not to be in our hearts towards a brother or a sister. But then in 1 John 2, 9, it says, The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in darkness until now. So if you have ought against somebody and you've not dealt with it, you're blinded. To what degree de is determined by how you're dealing with it? But you can be blind, and that blindness starts to affect other areas in your life as well. However, there is one, in one sense, where we are not to have love at all. Sounds contradictory somewhat because we hear time and time again that we're to love one another. We're to be like our Father. God loves us with an unconditional love. We're to love one another with an unconditional love. But here it says, love not the world. 
So we are to have no love for this world. We're passing through. I've done trips for pastors' conferences and stuff, different parts of the country. But, you know, I don't try to hold on to whatever part of the country I'm into. Why? Because it doesn't concern me. I'm only passing through. I don't care who the mayor is. I don't care who the council people are. I don't care about whatever they might have going on. I'm just passing through. It doesn't affect me. And we need to understand that that's to be our attitude here on planet Earth. We are passing through. As Peter puts it, we're sojourners. We're travelers, and we just happen to be walking through this earth. But our real home is up there. And so we don't want to get, we use things here on earth. We drive a car. We have a house. We eat food. We go to different events. We do things here on earth, but we're not attached to them. If Jesus called today and said, Jack, I want you to head out there on Interstate 80 and just start driving, and I'll tell you when to turn. You're never coming back to Dubuque. Would I be fearful of what I'm leaving behind? Would I say I can't leave without taking my guns or without taking my other possessions? Would there be a hold on my life that would keep me from going where God wanted me to go? Imagine Abraham. That's what he was told to do. Abraham, pack up your bags, grab your wife, grab your camel, and head out on Interstate 80. And I'll tell you when to quit. I'll tell you when to turn. I'll tell you when to camp. And that's what Abraham did. The world was not holding on to him. When Jesus came, he left the glories of heaven. He left the splendor. He led left the magnificence of heaven. That house that I was talking about a little bit earlier by that doctor, that's nothing. That's nothing compared to the home we're going to. And I don't know what shape that home will take. Some say it's a little cabin in the woods. Some say it's this, some say it's that. But I know that as Jesus spoke in John 14, he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you unto myself. He left it all with no regrets. Why? To die for you. So that as you sojourn through this world here, the world will not have a hold on your life. Some of us were held on to by fear. Some of us were held on to by a, a bad attitude over things that have happened in our life. Some are held on to. There's, 
The world has got a grip on you. You're not free to worship God the way you ought to because you're, you're held by this attitude, which is sin. And you're not free to walk with God. It's just like with Adam and Eve in the garden. Here they were walking with God daily, talking with God as I sit and talk with you all or talk with you after the service and we mingle or we may go out to a meal together or whatever. We do that together. And that's what Adam and Eve had. They had everything. No mosquitoes that were biting them. No weeds to pull up in their garden. They had the best of everything. But then they listened to the tempter who was trying to give them justification for eating the fruit. Well, he offended me. You have no idea how much he hurt me. God understands why I'm bitter towards that person or angry towards that person. Or why this or that, and you put yourself in whatever scenario you want that we would use sin, and we would use some form of justification for that sin. And when Adam and Eve sinned, it says that they hid because they realized they were naked. Weren't they naked before they sinned? Didn't they walk with God freely before they sinned? But now, all of a sudden, there became an awareness as a result of that sin that was hindering. They hid from God. We hide from God. We hide from God when we are knowingly doing things that are not in obedience to Scripture. And God said, who told you you were naked? Well, and then comes the blame shifting. You ever blame anybody for what's going on in your life? Oh, why did God allow me to get this? Why did God let me have cancer? Why did God give me this disease? Why did my... All my stocks fail. I was invested in three companies and they all went kaput and belly up and I got nothing. Why did God do that to me? A very simple imperative is given to us. Love not the world. Love not the world. But we might ask ourselves, do I understand? Do I really understand the meaning of this command? Do I understand what it means to love not the world? Do we appreciate the importance of this command? You see, it's one thing to know it. It's even another thing to understand it but to understand the importance of why God gave it in the first place. In this 
short period of time that we have together this morning, I hope to shed some light on what John is saying and maybe provide some motivation to yield and obey this passage of Scripture. So let's begin by asking, why should a Christian not love the world? Why should we not love this world? Didn't God create it? Didn't he give it to us and all good things to enjoy? Yes. He gave you those things to enjoy, but not to love. We don't love the gift. We love the giver. You see, if anybody's ever given you something, maybe you've worked for somebody or helped somebody out for hours and hours, days and days, to get some project done at their home, and they give you a $5 gift card. Well, didn't you do it out of the kindness of your heart to help a brother or sister? And was it the gift that you're thankful for? or the opportunity to serve. And when we get a gift, somebody comes and gives you a brand new car. Now that would be better than a $5 gift card. But do we love the car more than the individual that gave us the car? You see, we can love things but those things, moth and rust, will destroy. But that's why we love one another. Because you're what's important. We go from Genesis all the way through the book of Revelation. And what you find, besides the history and so on and so forth of some things, what you find is that from Genesis, the creation of the world and the placement of Adam and Eve in the garden, all the way to the end, we find that what God wants us to focus on our relationships. We have a relationship this way. If you trusted Christ, you have a relationship with your father, and that's what we want to, we want to walk in obedience to our father because he wants what's best for us and he wants to give us what's best for us. What he knows is best for us, not what we think is best for us. Okay? But then there's that same love reaches out two ways to those that do not know Christ, that they might come to know him, and to those that do know Christ, that we might help build them up. So you got the love of the Father and the love for the lost and saved, our brothers and sisters. And you see that from the beginning to the end of the book. But in order for us to become the people of God, that we need to be, we have to develop the attitude that the early Christians had. And they said that nothing that they had was they considered to be their own. 
but they all live like this. You know, a lot of the Jewish communities, I don't know if they all do this, but a lot of them will have like a general pot that everybody contributes. And if you need money to start a business, go take your 40000 out of that to get your business started. Matt, sorry, but we don't have that pot right now. But, uh, you know, they have that attitude that this is our money. It's not my money. In, Gen- or in Song of Solomon, in the uh, first 21 or 20 some verses, Solomon says, I, 21 times. I did this. I did this. I built this. I did this according to my heart. And he uses the word my like 18 times. It was all about what I did. It was all about me. And then at the end of the book, he says, here, I've done everything. I've tried everything. I've seen everything. There's nothing more important than this. Love the Lord your God and serve him. That's what's important. So you can have it all and still have nothing. Or you can have nothing and still have it all. So, why should Christians not love the world? Because of what the world is, is the answer to that. We read that in the verses here. It's not the physical world, okay? It's not the physical world, God's creation. God created the earth. In Genesis 1.1, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And he said, for it was very good. When he looked at it, he said, it's very good. And God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good in 131 of Genesis. It's not this physical world that we live in. It's not the human world or mankind. Imagine God saying, don't love mankind when he himself is love. Indeed, God himself loves the world in John 3.16, for it says God so loved the world. And here he's referring to mankind, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So it's not the physical world and it's not the human world, but rather it's the world of sin. It's the world of sin, the world of evil, the world that Satan has organized, if you will, to accomplish his purpose. And I can tell you I've never been tempted to cast myself off a building and see if the angels would hold me up. I've never been tempted to talk to the rocks in my yard and say, become bread or become a candy bar. Oh, all you almond joys, I love you. I've never been tempted in those areas. 
But the devil knows the areas that I am susceptible to. And he knows where you're susceptible. And so all of his temptations for you and for I can be totally different. But they're all geared to our area of weakness that we would live our life in a way that would not bring God glory because he does not want God to receive any glory whatsoever. He is opposed to God and everything God stands for. Just as in the phrase world of sports, which describes the domain in which sports dominate, so the world is one in which sin dominates. You know, I've sometimes looked at some of the uh, different people that are, be they politicians or ones like Jeffrey Epstein, who uh, so abused so many young ladies, and ones that participated politicians and some of the uppity-ups, if you will, that participated in those things. And you look and say, how can anybody, how can anybody do the things that they do? Because their hearts are evil. You know, you can take, you get a blister and guess what? If you keep working with that blister, it'll become calloused. And when it's calloused, it don't hurt. You can take a knife. Now, not stab all the way through it, because that would hurt. But you could stab down into that blister or into that callus, and you wouldn't feel anything. It's dead. It's just like a clump of dead skin on our hands. And our hearts can become calloused the same way. We've all been desensitized. Do you realize that? When Scarlett O'Hare and uh, whatever his name, Butler or something, and Gone with the Wind, when they used this one swear word in that movie, and America was aghast. I can't believe they'd say that on TV. And you become desensitized because you hear it, and you hear it, and you hear it. And with some of the other areas of sin and things that they show on TV blatantly, you look at it, and maybe the first time you find it somewhat appalling. But the more you see it, the more you become desensitized to it. Uh, that's what they do. That's not me. Everybody can do whatever they want to do. That's not the way God looks at it. Satan here has got an organized system that draws us away. Understand this that when we fail to yield to Scripture, when we allow ourselves to justify 
things that we ought to do and we do not do them, and probably because of pride, then what we're doing is we're being drawn away from God's love where we can't experience it, know it experientially. And we're drawn away not only from his love, but also, if you will, we're drawn away from God's will. And we can, we can justify anything we want. But you know, God's not looking to see how well our justifications are. God is looking for a broken and contrite spirit, a heart that's humbled before him. You know, none of us are above anybody else. And none of us are below anybody else. I am just as important, and so are you, as the President of the United States. He might have more money, he might have more authority, but every one of us were created in the image of God and were created so that we could have with God what Adam and Eve had before they sinned. Where we can walk in that intimacy in a nakedness of soul. Adam and Eve were naked physically. We can be naked in our soul, if you will, where God know, God can see everything, where we have the freedom, if you will, to share all of our fears, to share maybe, hey, I really struggle in this area, and not find condemnation but find somebody that wants to come up alongside and say, how can I help? Three things in particular that make up this world that Satan offers to you and to me. The first, it promises Satan promises to satisfy legitimate desires in illegitimate ways, the lust of the flesh. Do you realize? Eating is good, right? Anybody here that hates to eat? Eating is good, but gluttony is bad. God created sex. Satan didn't uh, invent sex. Sex is meant to be enjoyable and beautiful between a husband and wife where they can be naked and be unashamed of their physical characteristics. But Satan takes it and perverts it. When I'm talking with young people, I'll oftentimes use the illustration that a fireplace can offer some warmth, can it? It can provide heat for us in the cold months. It can provide beauty as you sit there and you watch 
the flames flicker. It can provide a romantic atmosphere. All of these things it can provide in its proper setting in the fireplace. But you take that same fire out and put it in the middle of the room and that fire all of a sudden becomes devastating. It becomes destructive. It becomes ugly. And it becomes harmful. And so Satan tries to take everything good that God has given to us and pervert it. So he looks to satisfy legitimate desires and legitimate needs, but to do it in illegitimate ways. Consider the lust of the flesh here, something we'd gone through here about, I'm guessing, I sort of lose track of time, but I'm guessing about a year ago when we went through the book of Galatians. And in Galatians chapter 5 and verses 19 to 21, it says, Now the deeds of the flesh, the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousings, and things like these. And these, all of these areas here can be ex expressed both, for an example, sexuality in fornication, in licentiousness, and adultery. They can also be socially, hatred, contentions, jealousies. I know growing up, long before I was a Christian, how I got jealous over my brother. I had to wait until I was 12 years old to get my BB gun. And I got a brand new BB gun, which I should have been grateful for when I was 12 years old. It had one of those caps on it. You turn it and you dump all the BBs down there and, and oh, it could shoot a lot of BBs. And the same day that I got this, my brother, who was two years younger, he got my dad's old BB gun. It was a single shot. You put one BB down the barrel, cocked it, and sh shoot it. And I would shoot mine, and I could empty the whole thing out on this cardboard target that we had on the dirt wall of our basement. And none of the BBs went through. And we were only shooting from maybe here to this front row away. My brother, he cocked his one BB at a time, and it went right through. And it was buried somewhere in the wall. Why did I get ripped off? Why did he get it two years earlier? I had to wait. I was jealous. I was angry. And I think we can all identify with that on, in various areas. You know, the first one kind of 
of all you kids that are going to grow up someday, and there's not very many here, but uh, if you're the firstborn, you're going to break the ice, and your brothers or sisters will get it a lot sooner than you did age-wise. You'll break the ice. That seems to be the way it is. Again, eating is legitimate, but gluttony is worldly. Sex is legitimate. Immorality is worldly. And that immorality can come in many different forms. One of the ways Satan uses it is in pornography. Multi-billion dollar industry here in America. Now, there are women that look at pornography. But it's probably a bigger problem, at least in my understanding, for men. Men are visually stimulated. Women are relationally stimulated. So there's a difference, and I'm not going to get into all the differences in men and women and how we view things and how we relate to things. But understand that it's a problem, and Satan knows it. And so you can hide your little girly magazine under the mattress or whatever, but realize that it's slowly, it's like leukemia of the spirit. It's slowly stealing your affections away. And as I met, got together with one of my classmates and his wife, about three years ago. And uh, he was outside taking care of something. He was going to be right back in. And I said, well, how's it going? How's it going? She said, how's it going what? I said, how are you, and I'll call him Joe, how are you and Joe doing since you moved here? She says, well, not any different than I've done for the last 40 years. And I said, what do you mean? She says, shortly after we got married, he got into porn. And I hate it when he touches me because I never know if he's touching me or Susie Q or whoever the, whatever tag they might have on him. I never know if it's me that he's loving or if it's some girl in a magazine. And I'll tell you what, guys, once you get it on the hard drive... You can have pop-ups years later, even though you thought you had given it up. Okay? Those images can come back to your mind. And Satan knows how to tailor that to destroy us, to draw us away from God's love and draw us away from God's will. We're going to look at the second one next week. I, can, I want to say again that uh, we need to ask ourselves tough questions sometimes. Like when Jesus told his disciples, one of you will betray me. And they asked, Lord, is it I? Lord, is it I? 
Would I do that? You see, that was an honest question. I think for many of us, we'd say, oh, I'd never do that. Take, be aware. Be aware of when you think you stand, lest you fall. Consider this first area, a love for the world, and ask yourselves, do I love the world? Do I love the world and the things of the world? Or is my heart committed, really committed? Now, this is between you and God. It has nothing to do with you talking with somebody else here, unless you choose to. But it has everything to do with coming clean before God and doing a self-examination. Lord, do I love this world? If I knew you were coming back tomorrow and I could take anything with me, would I pack my bags today? Or would I realize that where I'm going, everything I have need of will be there? And all of this stuff down here, it won't last. Consider it. Let us pray. Father, once again, I, I come before you, Lord, and help us to examine our own hearts. Lord, we can be self-deceived, and we know that towards the end there's going to be a lot of deception going on in this world. And even now we can look in the political arenas and see where there's a lot of deception. We can look around our neighborhoods and our cities and ask why do they do the things they do? Why do they say the things that they say? And then come back home and make it personal. Why do I do the things that I do? And why do I say the things that I say? May it be that there is an image in our mind of a man on a cross who has given it all for us. And may we cling to our Lord Jesus with everything that we have. And we thank you, Lord, for our time together now. And once again, I'd like to pray a blessing upon Matt and his family, Lord, as they, as they head out to Colorado. Bless their lives, O oh Lord. They've been such a blessing to us. And we give you the honor and the glory for it all. In Christ's name, amen. Amen.